0: Welcome to the Sugar Science Podcast, where our mission is to highlight and connect researchers in the type 1 diabetes space. I'm Monica Wesley for the Sugar Science and your host for today's podcast. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Amir Dolan. She is faculty at the National University of Ireland in Galway. Um, And she basically, she got her PhD in Galway, at University of Galway. Then she went to Trinity College, one of the most elite universities in um, in Europe and in Ireland in Dublin for her postdoc. Then she spent some time at MIT and now she's back, as I said, as faculty of uh, National University of Ireland Galway. She was recently um, awarded uh, the distinction of being an innovator under 35 by the MIT Technology Re- Review for her work on dynamic soft uh, reservoirs. Uh, and we're gonna talk about how that might uh, mitigate the foreign body response in eyelid implants. So welcome.
1: Amir, this is great to have you. Oh, Thanks so much, and thanks for having me on the podcast and for inviting me on. It's exciting to talk to you guys.
0: Yeah, we're we're very interested to hear um, about your work. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about how you became um, scientifically interested, I guess, in um, this uh, bioengineering and creating this softer reservoir?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm very interested in implantable medical devices and my my own research aims to leverage medical device innovation to improve outcomes in advanced therapies for chronic diseases such as diabetes. So I know you've talked a lot on your podcast about, um, you know, delivering um, cells in in macro encapsulation devices um, to treat type 1 diabetes. So that's kind of the area that I'm looking at. And um, I think it's a very exciting space to be in. There's lots of research and development happening in the space. Um, and I guess I'm a biomedical engineer, as you mentioned. I, I did my undergraduate and my PhD um, at NUI Galway. So um, I've always been interested in medical devices. Then, in terms of type 1 diabetes, um, I became interested in that uh, when I worked as a postdoc in uh, Professor Gary Duffy's group. So at the time he was based in RCSI in Dublin, but he has recently moved to Galway. Um, And at the time he was coordinating an EU funded translational research programme. So this programme was called DRIVE or Diabetes Reversing Implants with Enhanced Viability and Long-Term Efficacy. so the goal of the project was to develop functional biomaterials, encapsulation devices, and their minimally invasive delivery to improve pancreatic islet transplant therapy for type 1 diabetes. Right. So we had a big goal, but it was it was it was a large program. There was 14 partners involved um, oh, wow. across Europe. So it was um, both academic and industry, industry uh, partners. So that was a really great project to be involved in. Um, and that's really when I started, you know, delving into and becoming scientifically interested in, in type one diabetes. Um, I think as an engineer, it's great to see the range of technologies that exist and that are being developed for type one diabetes. Um, and that program was was really excellent because it had, um, you know, both industry and academia working together to design solutions to to problems in this space. That's excellent.
0: Um I'm, I'm, very, I'm a big fan of, uh, of the joining of forces um, and of different disciplines coming together because I think just the richness of the collaboration improves. Um, what are your thoughts about the work being done in, in sort of your bio, in your field, the bioengineering um, field that it, it's currently addressing um, type 1 diabetes? I mean, you mentioned this DRIVE program and, um, you know, what else is going on sort of in Ireland right now?
1: Yeah, so that drive program was—it uh, actually finished a couple of years ago. But I'm—I'm I'm now um, a co-investigator on another EU-funded program, um, which is—is is a slightly different different program. It's a Marie Curie um, Innovative Training Network. Oh, wow. um, and again, it again this—it was coor- it is coordinated by uh, Professor Gary Duffy, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and this project, you know, it's—it's. It's, it's, almost a sister project of of what we did um, with the DRIVE project. It's called DELIVER. And what we're doing with this project is that we're training um, six early career translational research scientists in cell transplantation for type 1 diabetes. So the program aims to develop new strategies to deliver um, insulin-producing cells um, effectively in a targeted and protective way. Um, And again, It's a major interdisciplinary effort um, between, you know, cell biologists, experts in biomaterials, medical devices, advanced drug delivery, clinical experts um, and biomedical companies. Um, and the pro the the program is really focused, focused on um, academic training of these scientists. So each of these scientists will spend um, a, a significant part of their PhD uh, working in industry, mm-hmm. um, which we hope will give them uh, you know uh, uh, these industrial skills that are really necessary to have a patient impact. Yeah. Um, so I think these program programs like this work really well, and you know. I personally am, have always been very interested in kind of translational research. So, you know, really kind of trying to envisage how we're going to get this to the clinic or, or you know, what are des- making decisions that will help us um, translate easily or, uh, you know, um, or won't be an issue to translate. So, yeah.
0: And, and scaling, you know, that's always an issue, right? Is you get something going in the laboratory and then how do you scale it to get it really to the clinic? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know,
1: these things have to be thought about really early because if it's something like, you know, you design something and you develop it and it's very complex and it's fine to make in small batches um, and it's very exciting. But then if it's going to be in a, a problem to scale or translate, you know, it's it it, 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 it ends up being a very big problem at the end. Whereas if you kind of keep it in mind very early on and design around it, I think it helps.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting. I just spoke to, um, the, um, you know, the person running the, the CPATH initiative for type one diabetes, his name is Inish O'Doherty and that's sort of what they're doing. They're helping scientists, um, you know, understand what the scaling process is in terms of their clinical trials in order to get them through the FDA. He's here in the U.S., but mm. you know the the whole idea of getting the big, um, the far view, you know, before you begin the project and get it mapped out, get everything, you know, um, you know, ready to scale and and get to clinic which I think is, a, is sort of a newer way of approaching things. Maybe in the past, like, I don't know, 10 years or so that's been developing, which I, which is a great, it's a great way to do things. And probably as a
1: bioengineer, it's probably something you do anyway, right? Because so you sort of think that way. Um, <laughs> um, maybe, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, a lot of my, my, all my postdoc training, actually, the majority of it um, was working on these types of EU funded translational research programs and i think maybe that's why i'm always very interested in it and focused on it um so yeah <laughs> yeah no, i think it's a good way to, to approach a problem it, yeah i think so because we
0: want these uh partic- we want these products and these technologies getting into the clinic to really help people who are struggling with this um, disease type 1 diabetes is a Uh, a disease that never rests. I mean, there's a lot of great tools out there, but it still is 365 24 seven. So we want to mitigate, you know, the disease as soon as possible. Um, Can you share some exciting new work you're doing in your laboratory? Um, You have this great paper from 2019 uh, uh, that came out in science robotics an actuable soft reservoir modulates host foreign body response, really exciting work. Maybe talk a little bit about that and then what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, I'm a relatively new faculty member um, at uh, NUI Galway, and I'm in the process of, you know, establishing my own group here. And um, very excitingly, I just had two two new PhD students starting in the in the last couple of months, so that's that's uh, very exciting for me. But the, that paper that you mentioned. Um, was published towards the end of my postdoc so I, I mentioned Professor Duffy earlier um, but uh, so it was a collaboration between his group and also the group I was working with at MIT who was um, Professor Ellen Roach. So I guess um, the project kind of came about or, or the idea came about through through that collaboration really. Um, Ellen is an expert in in soft robotics and um, you know, Gary had, um, is, has has a research group who is focused on on developing technologies for type one diabetes. So that's kind of where the the, the idea and the and the project came came about. But um, so what we did was we designed um or developed a mechanically actuated implantable device which which we've called the dynamic soft reservoir and it uses the principles of soft robotics to cyclically actuate a flex a flexible membrane um at at the at the interface of the device and and uh the, the the host that it's implanted into and this actuation modulates the um biomechanics of the device interface. So it really uses controlled uh, mechanical actuation to elicit a specific biological response. So I've heard you discuss the foreign body response on this uh, podcast, you know, numerous times before and the challenges associated with with it uh, for T1D, but it ultimately leads to the body forming this wall of thick fibrous tissue around um, the implanted foreign in order for the body to protect itself. Um, which is great, you know, in some in some applications, but for these types of devices or macro encapsulation devices or, or things like biosensors that we design and develop for, for type one diabetes, um, it is a real problem because this capsule acts as a diffusion barrier. So uh, we've shown that our device, so the DSR, um, um, Uh, through the DSR I guess that actuation um, reduced fibrosis so we found a, a significant reduction in the thickness of the fibrous capsule that formed around the device and we found no difference in the in the quality of that capsule, um, which I think is interesting. And then we also found that we had increased vascularization um, of the formed capsule and um, we found an increased transport of a therapy analog through the capsule. So those those number of things are, are things that that are really when they form are, are, are things that cause an issue in, in type one diabetes. So a fibrous capsule, lack of vascularization and, um, you know, a diffusion barrier of, of, of therapy or whatever it is, um, nutrients into and out of, of yeah. these types of macro encapsulation like, devices.
0: It's like a three part problem. You want less fibrosis, more vascularization and, um, you know, an exchange of glucose obviously. And, and other um,
1: hormonal signals, right? Yeah, exactly. So we think. The, I mean, I think the DSR, is—it's a really versatile and tunable uh, platform. And you know, we envisage that it can be integrated into a range of implantable um, devices. But um, I'm focusing really on type one diabetes at the moment because I think there's huge potential um, to improve the outcomes uh, in that space. Just purely because it addresses those three major problems um, that that kind of keep coming up and keep um, causing um, problems in, in the space yeah and um, there it's been very tricky um,
0: and um, I think that uh, you know the whole they, they've done a lot of different um, areas of implantation you know people have implanted these devices or these um you know the the islet uh, packets basically into the omentum um, subcutaneously. Um, then of course there was sort of the free flowing um, islets that were just implanted into the portal vein, and uh, each has its own set of uh, problems, I think. But let's—I uh, did speak to a scientist at UCSB in Santa Barbara. Her name is Sumita Penather, and she's she talks a lot of uh, about um, micro. Fluidics. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of microfluidics, what's uh, what's going on with the uh, with the oscillations that are happening with your device? Uh, is there yeah, so is there, there kind of like a microenvironment of the fluidics around it?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's what that's what uh, we uh, we think is happening. So it's it's kind of creating, um, you know, fluid flow around the device. Um, and this fluid flow is is keeping, the, preventing the, the 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 cells from really rapidly creating this this fibrous capsule. So you know uh, it, the paper is really interesting, and it's great that we got published, but uh, or that it's published. And um, you know it's it's really kind of the first time that anybody has looked at using this technique to address this problem. But you know there's loads of other questions that need to be answered. Um, so, you know, really looking into optimizing the, the, the actuation regime and um, trying to, you know, really figure out a mechanism of action. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And I think that, you know, there's, there's, there's really exciting work that, that um, we're planning on doing and that, to figure it all out. Well, it's great that you have the two postdocs now and ready to go. Um,
0: <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, um, in terms of, scaling the technology in this field, um, it doesn't seem to be uh, that hard in your situation, right? Cause you've got the device. I mean, can you comment on it? How would it, how would that work?
1: Yeah, so we are working on it at the moment. Um, uh, our technology, it was initially, initially developed for you know a, a proof of concept studies. Um, and we're working on scaling it up to a size, you know, more relevant to humans. Um, You know, I've already mentioned that I'm interested in in translational research to to human size. Yeah. So we're we're looking at um, lots of different things. Actually, we're looking at, you know, scans of um, lots of different patients. So we have something like through a collaboration with uh, the University of Michigan, we have um, a um, they've provided us with. morphomics data and, you know, over 600, um, scans of patients. So we're looking at, you know, that, uh, different was, implant sites. Sorry. Is that with, uh, Lonnie Shea by any chance? Um, no, it's a different group. Um, he's at university of
0: Michigan. I spoke to him yesterday and he's doing, Oh, great. Yeah. And he's doing, um, islet, um, work, but so you, so you guys are looking at the different scans and you're trying to, so you did the work initially in rats so how big was the the device
1: in rats so it was very small we we implanted two different two devices um on either side of the back of of the the rat so subcutaneously Mm -hmm. um so you know um millimeters uh size so um we are working on scaling it up to humans, as I mentioned, but, you know, it, taking into account the um, number of uh, ILS or beta cells that we need to um, include inside the, the device. So, you know, as you know, that one of the challenges with these types of devices is to um, facilitate or to accommodate the large number of cells that is required. Yeah. So we're looking at ways that we can optimize the device to um, include... the 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 large number of cells and you know which where we could implant it where is the best place we can implant it um you know is that site um you know can we make one device that fits all these different patients or do we need to have um different off-the-shelf devices for different um patient sizes and you know it's really interesting to actually delve into the data there because you know the differences between you know males and females and uh, as as is age a factor height you know bmi we have all this data um yeah. so we're really looking to delve deep into that to to um design or de- use that knowledge to to design our device um to the best uh, possible way yeah
0: because there is a you know a range a wide range of um physical needs so um, the sort of the personalized approach seems to be the best, uh, the best approach, but yeah. And, and of course, it'll be exciting to see all the different uh, f- the data you, you get from, from the different, you know, scaling methodology. What do you, who do you think is the uh, best partner in industry for this kind of, pro- um,
1: you know, pro- project? Um, I think, I mean, we've worked with as part of those EU funded projects, uh, you know, we've worked with small companies and also, you know, multinational companies. And I think that, um, I think that you kind of need both. It's great to have the the large multinational company to, to kind of understand how things work in that sphere, but it's also very good to have the smaller, you know, really focused companies uh, to work with. And I actually think that in type one diabetes, um, this partnership works very well um, so there's a lot of exciting com- spin-out companies that are you know very closely linked with academia but they're also very closely linked with you know large drug or medical device companies and um you know i mentioned those eu-funded projects I- which happen in europe because obviously they're eu-funded but i think they they are fantastic for linking us all together um in europe but you also see it in the us um in in um where Small companies have spun out of uh, research labs and they're still very tightly linked. Um, so I think, you know, for T1D, it's almost like everybody is just they know that the end goal is the same. So everybody's working together to try and figure it all out.
0: Is it seem that JDRF and Helmsley uh, are behind some of these collaborative uh, projects that you're
1: participating in? Um, so they are, so for those specific ones, they, they weren't, so they were EU funded, but we've, um, I, I have a funded pilot and feasibility award from the JDRF, um, to kind of look into, um, this, this technology and, um, you know, to delve into it a little bit deeper and that's a collaborative, uh, funded project with, um, Professor Roach at MIT. So they have been great. Um, And I think the JDRF and and Hemsley have been fantastic for uh, research in in T1D. They've they've provided so much funding and are are, really supportive. Yeah, they have been very
0: helpful. Um, What do you think the challenge, what are some challenges that you see that have to be overcome to speed up the research or expedite research in T1D?
1: Yeah, so I think that um, it's expensive. <laughs> so it, it's expensive research with a lot of different parts, or different moving parts. So it takes time, um, and it really takes a multidisciplinary team, as, as we've kind of mentioned before. But for for our work, for example, you know, we have cells. So cells that are both expensive and very sensitive. We have a biomaterial and then we have our device. So all of these things need to be tested separately and in combination. So both in vitro and then moving on to in vivo. So I guess, you know, funding is is definitely a big challenge. Um, I'm actually very lucky that I have... um, uh, a fellowship, so it's a uh, uh, Science Foundation Ireland, which is um, or uh, one of the biggest funding bodies in Ireland, um, and Royal Society, which is uh, based in the UK, um, fellowship, um, and they've funded me to really focus on this research. And one of the goals of this fellowship that I have is is to give early stage academics um you know funding and time to really focus on establishing their own research group so you know I'm very lucky to have this and um they've basically given me funding and time you know which I'm very grateful for so so um yeah uh, oh well
0: I would just say yeah very lucky but also probably uh, and and definitely very talented and deserving <laughs> So I think oh, um, very much. it's it's definitely true. I mean, I've seen, I've read through some of your work. It's just really, it's so innovative. And I think that that's so important because when you are a young faculty member, you're, you have so many um, responsibilities. Uh, it, you know, you've got to set up your laboratory. You have to mentor your students. You have to get your students on their program you have to write your grants, and then you have to teach. <laughs> and then you have to, you know, get your research program. So it, I think it's that type of funding is just really fantastic. And I'm um, so happy to, that you have it. What do you think? um, Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, What do you think, um, you know, in terms of uh, just um, what do you think young researchers should be, you know, doing right now to approach the challenges uh, that
1: are coming from the, the pandemic? Yeah, so, it, I mean, it's a very stressful time for for PhD students and postdocs, and especially those whose research was delayed because of lab closures. Um, but, you know, I think it's important for all of us to just remind ourselves every now and again that, you know, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, it's not normal. It, it isn't business as usual. And, you know, everybody is affected in different ways by this. So I think, every you know, don't get too stressed out about it. Um, but at the same time, I do think we're, we're all adapting. We need to adapt. So we have to do our best with the situation that we're in. Um, so, you know, I just uh, guess I wouldn't let the, the COVID constraints hold us back. Um, you know, we can try and adapt and, and move around it. You know, our, our own labs in we were closed for a number of months. Uh, we're back open now, thankfully. Um, and, you know, even... So we're actually open open um, for for all of our, our lab-based researchers. But I know some universities are only open, you know, partial capacity. Um, and I think people need to, you know, we can't be as productive as we were um, when we have full access. So so I think maybe to just be a little bit easier on ourselves <laughs> sometimes, it's important.
0: It, it is important. And I'm so happy to hear so many of uh, the thought leaders in the space and the scientists um, you know, the, uh, giving this message to the young scientists, you know, I'm talking about the grad students and the, and the postdocs because, uh, it's really, um, inspiring that it's coming, you know, the message coming from you all is to these young students is that, uh, you know, we can, we'll get through it basically, which is yeah. it's great. It's a, it's yeah. a real solidarity within the scientific community from what I'm seeing, uh, at least yeah. in this, this, uh, realm. So,
1: is there? And I think, anything, you know, some things, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off no, there, no, but no. some things, um, you know, travel, of course, has been restricted, which limits us going to conferences and visiting collaborators, labs, and, you know, all that fun and exciting stuff where we learn a lot. But uh, I think it's been great that a lot of the conferences and meetings um, have gone online and adapted. And uh, you know in one way it's really opened up the scientific community you know i'm sitting here in galway listening to a seminar series that could be happening in mit every week or new york which i think is really cool and i think you know hopefully they uh continue um even yeah. when we go back to normal whatever normal will end up
0: being i agree with that completely i think the sharing um has been for it's there's been a forced sharing <laughs> Right. And, and so, so not everyone can go and travel and uh, the expense to travel to a conference or the, you know, prohibitory cost or whatever. Now it's a bit more open. So there's more access to what people are doing. And that's something we're trying to do here with the sugar science is to promote collaboration and, and uh, allow different voices to be heard. And so I just, I'm very hopeful that, um, even though this pandemic has been challenging that some really good things are coming out of it. So I just wondered, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners or, you know, um, just thoughts for uh, um, what's ahead? I young guess- scientists.
1: Like, like everybody, uh, I'm always looking for eager and uh, excited students who would like to come and work with me. So I guess if you like the sound of, of what uh, the work that we're doing, uh, you should definitely reach out and get in touch. Um, you know, I, I'm I still consider myself very, very new and I'm still figuring it all out. So um, I think it's it's an exciting time to. Um, get in on a, on a research group at the start when um, it's, it's uh, developing and maturing. So um, I know I did my PhD in a lab that was, you know, very early stage. And um, I think it was really valuable to see um, the lab develop and mature.
0: Yeah, I did as well. And there is something very special about that kind of situation. So if anyone's out there and is interested in this really fascinating work and approach, Um, and you would get to live in the beautiful city of Galway. Uh, Reach out to (laughs) Amir Tolan. Thank you again, Amir, for talking with us today. I so appreciate it.
1: Oh, no problem at all. Thanks so much for having me.